from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends, our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Now listen to and hear the word of God for you and for me. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights to the leader with stringed instruments. Here ends our first scripture reading. Thank you, Ben. Our second scripture reading this morning is from um, the epistle of, to the Romans. I'll be reading chapter 8, verse 18, and then verses 22 through 25. So Paul is writing here and he's speaking about hope. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. In verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope at all, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. At the start of 2024, we began this six-week sermon series called Share the Dream. It is loosely from a curriculum of that name, but it's based on the teachings and life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we've been looking at ways of learning and leaning into our own way of that in the world. We've looked at the topics of love, conscience, justice, freedom, and perseverance. And now today, in closing this series, we'll look at the topic of hope. So when I sat down to write this sermon on hope, I started out by trying to think and understand what, what does hope even mean? What, what's the definition of that word? And are there different kinds of hope? For example, I hope we have pizza for dinner. I hope my team wins the game. Go Chiefs. I hope I get an A on the test. I hope I get that promotion at work. I hope she says yes. I hope he says yes. I hope that the wars in the world will cease. Are all of those the same? Is hoping for your team to win the game the same as hoping for wars to cease? Are there different levels? What does it really mean to hope for something? On one level, the word hope is equated with wish. I hope we have pizza for dinner. I wish 
for pizza for dinner. It's a statement about a desire for the future, something that I want to, to have or to have happen. And in the Christian context, that aspect of hope is very real, a wish. It's a very real part of our daily lives. I hope that wars cease. I hope that God heals grandma. But hope also has the connotation of looking for and longing for something that is not currently present and also believing that one day it will be. And I think this is where a truer Christian meaning of hope comes from. Not just looking at the brokenness around me and hoping it gets restored, but actually believing, actually trusting that God can and God will act to bring about God's purposes in and through that brokenness. And then acting today on the basis of that future reality that's not yet realized, but I'm going to live it today being certain that it will come. That is hope. Here's an example of how I think that works. I do things today that show my belief, my hope, that I'll be here tomorrow. I wear sunscreen. I take my meds. Because I believe that I will be here tomorrow, and I want to be healthy and alive and ready for what tomorrow brings. Isn't hope just that? Believing in something in the future and acting today on the basis of that belief. That's what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The confidence of things not seen. They're hoped for, but they're not seen. But my attitude toward them is that I'm assured, I'm convicted of that future reality. We, we live in a world, we live in a postmodern world that is very easily described as seeing is believing. Right? If there's scientific proof, if I can touch it, if I can, can feel it, seeing is believing. But rather than seeing as believing, I think that for followers of Christ, we are called to live by believing is seeing. For people of faith, that's what it is. We don't yet see it. We don't yet touch it. And yet we are confident, convinced, assured that God will do the impossible, even if it's not here right now. We hope for what we do not see. A couple of years ago, I watched some interviews with people who in the 1960s were part of the civil rights movement. Um, these weren't the, the, the big leaders. There were other people who didn't give up their seats on buses. The, the entire um, sanitation department in Memphis went on strike. 
And they talked with a number of these people who had played roles in them. And the overwhelming thing that they said, and this struck me so profoundly, is they said, I didn't do it for me. I didn't do it for myself. I did it for those who would follow after me. Just like those heroes that are listed in Hebrews 11, they didn't necessarily receive the things for which they were fighting. In many ways, we are still fighting for those things. Like Romans 8, they didn't see it, but they believed it would be real. They believed that one day in the future, there would be equality. One day in the future, there would be fairness. There would be a recognition of the value and worth and dignity of all humans. And that the reality of racial justice, of adequate food and housing for every single person, the end of the disease, all of those future realities, and they, we, live today in that conviction, in that assurance that it will one day be a reality. In the curriculum that we used, um, we had some small groups based on this curriculum, uh, curriculum written by Daniels and Broussard, they write this. The biblical concept implies trust and confidence in God. Hope in the fight for justice is rooted in that same confidence. confidence. As justice seekers, we place our hope in God, anticipating God's desired outcome. We live today in light of tomorrow. We align our actions with God's will to produce what is right. But we also understand that hope always implies waiting what we anticipate has not yet arrived. It's still on the way, and we are called to work with God to bring it about. Romans 8 reminds us, we hope, we don't hope for that which we already have. If you have it, you're not hoping for it. That's not hope at all. We hope for what we don't yet have, yet believe is a future reality. And Romans 8 takes it a step further and says that while we wait, we also groan. The psalmist often wrote, How long, O Lord? How long must I wait? When will you act? We hurt, we're in pain with all this brokenness, but our hope, our longing, our confidence, indeed the only place we can possibly turn is to God because we have nowhere else to go. That is exactly what Habakkuk said as well in the passage that Ben read for us. I want to read for you something that I wrote a number of years ago based on this passage. Now, some of you know my story, others may not. Uh, my wife, Susie, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Susie died about 10 and a half years ago. And during that time of her illness, 
the way I learned to kind of cope with that and, and make sense out of it is I began to write. And I wrote devotionally about my faith and my lack of faith in the midst of what was going on. After Susie died, I turned that into a book. My book um, has a number of those devotions and a number of those pieces um, in it. And what I want to do is to read for you what I wrote based on the Habakkuk 3 passage. And I also just want to say before I read this, um, it was a very raw time for me. It was a very, very raw time with uh, uh, Aileen, um, wife and and with the that difficulty so after the Habakkuk 3 passage it's so easy to let my circumstances dictate my mood on sunny days with pleasant people all around me I'm happy but if there's no place to park in the rain or I have to deal with my mobile phone service provider I find myself angry and surly so add into that the frustration of not understanding what Susie is trying to say or the heartache of watching her struggle with pain. And I find myself anywhere but in my happy place. Circumstances. They are what they are, but are they the dictators of my mood? Are they the determiners of my reaction and my response to God? Habakkuk spent a great deal of time looking at the circumstances all around him. The evildoers were flourishing. The enemy was about to invade. And Habakkuk talked with God, telling him that he needed to correct that situation now. It's not until the very end of the book, those final verses that Ben read there, that Habakkuk states his trust in God regardless of the circumstances. It's a lesson I have learned but am still learning throughout my journey. When I look at our circumstances, I lose heart. There were no buds on the fig tree, no crops, no livestock. Susie's muscles were wasted and useless, and there was incontinence and pain. And I become discouraged and downtrodden. It's only when I look at God, and I mean fully at God, that the circumstances fade so that what really matters can shine. As I continue in my life, I am choosing to place my trust in God in good circumstances and bad. My only hope, my only hope, is to place my trust fully in the one who made me, who knows me best, and who still loves me even when I don't deserve to be loved. I'm still working on this. I can be distracted quite easily by circumstances all around me. But trust is a choice. And I'm learning slowly to put full stock trust in God. The circumstances look significantly different when you do that. Susie often amazes me with the trust she displays. Every single day she found herself trusting aides to bathe and dress her, medical folks and therapists to manage the meds and the equipment, and me to remember and somehow keep track and manage all of it. She remains the most pleasant, most cheerful, most Jesus-trusting person I know. Her trust is firmly established. The assaults of a brain tumor 
and they are countless, fierce, and relentless. Do not trouble her. She trusts. She's learned to not look at the circumstances, but to look at Christ. The withering fig blossoms and the lack of sheep in the pen, they don't concern her because she believes with Habakkuk, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Oh, to have the faith and the strength the courage, the wisdom, the willingness to trust no matter the circumstances, no matter the storms that blow all around me. One more thing. God tells Habakkuk that the enemy, the destroyer, will be destroyed. That's chapter 2. I take great hope in that. Make no mistake, my friends. Just as Babylon was eventually destroyed, there will be a day in our world when cancer reigns in evil terror no more. Glioblastoma multiform will be defeated. And no one, absolutely no one, will suffer or struggle with the hell in which we walk. Until then, I continue to unashamedly affirm my faith and trust in a good and loving God who at one point, at the right time, will make all things new. Circumstances be damned. You do not win. So I am lining up my trust with the one who does. This quote by Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen is one of my heroes. I read everything that he's written. This is out of his book, Here and Now. Joy does not come from positive predictions about the state of the world. It does not depend on the ups and downs of the circumstances of our lives. Joy is based on the spiritual knowledge that while the world in which we live is shrouded in darkness... God has overcome the world. Jesus says it loudly and clearly. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now and says the surprise is not that unexpectedly things turn out better than we thought. No, the, the real surprise is that God's light is more real than the darkness. That God's truth is more powerful than all human lies. And that God's love is stronger than death. And that gives me incredible, amazing, life-nourishing hope. Ultimately, for us as believers, hope is about eternal life. Not, I, I wish for that. Not, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and hope that I get there. No, it's a future reality of which I'm confident today. So I act and live today in light of that future reality. Filled with hope. Confident that what I don't see or know or feel now will one day be true.
It will be completed one day. It's called the kingdom of God. And God invites us to live today in the light of its future assurance. For what do you hope? For peace? For justice for everyone? For the truth of God's kingdom to be a reality in this world for all people. All people, including for my neighbors and friends living in housing insecurity. Including my loved LGBTQ family and friends. For my dear survivor friends, I see you. I see you. For my treasured, treasured immigrant friends, for my brothers and sisters of color who have experienced horrendous pain and injustice in our world, I hold on to the hope that love will have the last word on all matters in our world. And so I believe I live my life today in hope that one day our children and our grandchildren's grandchildren will live in a world where they are automatically known as people of incredible worth and value and dignity, and where absolutely no one has the power or the money or the platform or the influence to do anything that tells them otherwise. In the name and for the sake and for the glory of Jesus Christ, may it be so.